We're continuing our study through the book of Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. And we are going to stop at verse 21. Now hear the word of the Lord to us this morning. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, take all these realities and these truths and the the details and apply them by your spirit to our heart, to the magnifying of your glory and your grace in our Savior, by the work of your spirit who we need to saturate us, to overcome our sin, to go overcome our dullness, so that we may walk in the newness of life that is ours through Christ Jesus. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to remind us quickly as we enter into uh, this section of passage in First Peter, I want to remind us as we come into this section that has a, a number of commandments in us for as God's children to hear and to obey, how we are to hear and obey these things. How, uh, in, in a sense, this is the law of God. How are we to, as born-again Christians, under the grace of God, to respond to it? And I want to just look quickly In the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 19, which is uh, one of our church's documents that kind of helps us understand what the scriptures rightfully teach. Chapter 19 talks about the law of God. And it talks about in the beginning of creation, God created a covenant with Adam. And this covenant is where God gave the law. And the stipulations of this covenant with Adam was, hey, if you obey blessing, if you disobey death. And we know how that went. He disobeyed and death came not immediately and physically, but it certainly has come to all of us since the creation of the world. And the death is not only physical, but it's also a spiritual and a a tormenting death and a separation from God. But after this law, God also, it talks about that he continued this law, which is summed up in the Ten Commandments, which was given to Moses on Mount Sinai. The confession says that this law continued to be a perfect rule of righteousness. So there's nothing wrong with the law, is there? Which one of the laws of the Ten Commandments do we want to throw out? None. But it's just a terrible way. It's an impossible way. It's an impenetrable way to make ourselves right with God. And so they rightfully say this, although true believers, you and I, if you're in Christ Jesus, are not under the law as a covenant of works, thereby we cannot be justified by it and we are no longer condemned by it. It has already condemned us and that's why we turn to Christ. But the theologians go on to say, yet it is of great use to us as a rule of life. 
informing us the will of God and what our duty is. It directs and binds us to them to walk accordingly. In this law, we discover, as you and I see, our sinful pollutions of our nature, heart, and lives. We see the law exposes to us our inability to keep it, and it draws us into a further conviction of our inability. It draws us into a deeper humiliation for our stance before an awesome God, and it also causes us to hate our sin. Don't you hate the sin that you commit? The things you don't want to do, you do. The things you don't want to do, you still do. Things you want to do, you can't do. The law does these things. It says, though, it points us also to a clear need of our sight for Christ Jesus and his perfect obedience. And it says this about the regenerate, which is us in Christ Jesus. It helps us to restrain our corruptions. It, it leads us to, for, it forbids sins. And it's as a threaten, it threatens us to, sure, to show us what our sin deserves. But this is what they go on to say. The promises of it, of the law, of obedience to the law, show them God's praise for obedience and what blessing they may expect from performance thereof. There is blessing in obeying God's law. Not blessing unto salvation by any means, but there is blessing for walking according to the ways of God. Although it is still not held to us as a covenant of law. Again, it is a law of God. It's a right. There's nothing bad by it. And blessing comes from living according to it. Not salvation by any means. And we are not in relationship to the law and the commands of God in the same way that Israel was. This is what they go on to summarize about the law of God. Neither are the aforementioned uses of the law contrary to the grace of the gospel. But they sweetly comply with it. Because it goes on to say the spirit of Christ is in us, subduing us, enabling us to freely and cheerfully do what the law of God has been revealed to us. To obey it, not perfectly. So the law of God, what we're going to hear in this passage is, is by no means a way unto salvation, but is also by no means to be ignored and tossed out. It is the way of which God says, you follow in this and there is blessing to come. You are my children and you'll see the relationship that we have to the law. We are not under the law as a covenant of works. For the scripture is very clear, no one by works of the law will be saved. But God gives us the law as to, you will see in this passage, how to conduct ourselves, to be holy, to love one another. It is a rule of life that we are not left of our own doing to try to stumble in the darkness to obey. But it's a rule of life of which God has given us his spirit to cause us to be able to walk in obedience, not perfectly. As I love what Paul says in Romans chapter 6, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead also lives in you and gives life to your mortal bodies. God has not just saved us and left us on our own, but he has saved us and now put his spirit inside of us to cause us to walk in good works. The law shows us that we need a savior, and the law also shows us how to live as born-again Christians. So as we approach this text as God's covenant people, born again by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, and so we see what this God who loves us now calls us to do. The outline for this is really found right in the text. I'm working through the text. Number one, and it's uh, these three commands. 1 Peter 1.13 says, Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing that we are to do, to set our hope fully on the grace that is going to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The second is to be holy. That is found in verse 15. 
And the third is in verse 17, it says, pass the time as you're living on this earth as strangers here in reverent fear. So one, we are to set our hope on the future. We are to be holy and we are to live with a reverent fear. This will be explained to us looking at 1 Peter. What's the very first word we see there in chapter 13? Therefore, therefore, it means he's made a really foundational argument that everything else following is based on it. What is that argument that he's made? What has he just declared to us? It's the gospel. Verse 3, God has caused us to be born again. You are not dead in your sins anymore. If you have trust in him, he's made a new creation. Just like a baby, if you've ever seen it be born, and it comes out, it's got that skin that has not seen the daylight, and it's pink, and it's soft, it's new. God has made us spiritually new through the regeneration, of, through the spirit and, and the gospel, and born us again. And this didn't just happen in 1972 or 2012 or just last week. This happened before the foundation of the world. God chose us in Christ Jesus. It was begun and it was culminated in the day of your salvation in coming to the Lord. In verse 1, he says, you were elected. He goes out, this therefore also points to the inheritance that is promised as ours. Remember the thief on the cross? Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. That is our inheritance. Paradise is ours. It's awaiting us. There is so much awaiting you, Christian, regardless of what your bank account shows or your daily experience now. There's so much more there. We see in Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, it talks about those saints who were before us. It says they were seeking a homeland, a promised land that was not on this earth. It was a heavenly one. It was an eternal one. And they received it. And we, too, will receive it. This is the inheritance, and what else is it that Peter has already told us about? The resurrection of the bodies. Newness of life. Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, we, these things are perishable. These things are unholy. These bodies are weak, but they're going to be raised imperishable, glorious, in power, spiritual bodies, glorified bodies, not capable of being taken away. This is the therefore. This, everything following, stands on the shoulders of the gospel. That this was accomplished by Christ Jesus, by the sprinkling of his blood that made us clean. Therefore, prepare your minds. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the glory that's to be received when Christ returns. That's what he says. That's, that's the springboard. All that work that he starts saying, this is now how you should live. Now, what is it that he calls us to? God, having done all these things out of the pure mercy and grace of his own will, not looking at your record or my record, has done all this. And this is what he says to us. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope. Now, you and I hear the word hope. We've had a hope in a lot of things. And the older I get, the more my hope dies. I am not going to be playing baseball as a professional athlete. I'm not going to be a Navy SEAL. I'm not going to be an actor. I'm not going to spend a winter in Aspen being a ski instructor. There's some things that are just dying. Some of these hopes, you, this room is full of just, if all of our hopes were pieces of paper, we'd be walking on a half foot of paper on the ground. That's not the kind of hope that Bible talks. Hope is looking forward to something that is real. When the Bible says, set your hope, it means look forward to this. 
I live in a Navy town where people go off to deployment for 15, 16, uh, that's exaggeration. They go off for like six to eight months. And these poor kids, young children, so these kids are over at my house, and they're like, my dad's on day 45 of deployment. I don't know where he's at. But they count down until their dad returns, till the ship comes into San Diego and ports at the dock. And they're looking forward to that, and everything is governed around that time, the return of their mom or their dad. They're looking forward to that day. That is their, their, their compass. That's the marker. So when this says, set your hope fully on the grace, he's saying, look forward to that day, the future. He says, look forward to that grace, that grace. When I talked about everything that God has done for you, when Peter declared everything that God has done to you, he's saved you, he's elected you, he's adopted you, he's got a heavenly body for you, he watches over you, he's guarding you with his spirit, he's indwelt you with a faith. Some of us are like, okay, what? Because we don't have it in fullness right now. There's a fullness that is to be coming. The ship of Christ Jesus is going to come into port someday, and the fullness of it will be there. I was just listening to Jonathan Edwards on the way up here, and he was talking about, is there rewards in heaven for different Christians? And because the scripture is very clear about, in multiple places, about working And about God rewarding our good works. And he was talking about in heaven, but aren't we going to be jealous of one another? What about those that have really given their life to Christ and have a great reward? And and me, I kind of, I just, I I, I was blinded by all, all the things of this world. And I didn't give my life to Christ Jesus. I didn't focus on him. Um, And I'm going to be in heaven, but aren't I going to be looking up to these people? And he says, listen, it's all, everybody has a cup that is going to be thrown into the ocean of joy, and each cup will be full. Some cups will be smaller, and some cups will be larger. And the cups that are larger are going to have a greater portion of humility, and the cups that are smaller are going to have a greater portion of exaltation of those who have done great. Everybody's going to be full of joy. There's not going to be anything lacking. That is going to be ours, each one of us. That is what is coming when Christ returns. He says, set your hope, look forward to this grace that is brought to you at the revelation. It's brought to you. It's something that God is going to deliver. Even in God's commands is the gospel. It's brought to you. It's delivered to you. You didn't earn it. It's brought to us. It's delivered to us. And it's also, it's in the future. It's coming The old Christians in the church used to say, maybe you guys say now is, Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ is coming again. Do you have in that mentality? Do you know that? Do you walk around? I'm waiting for him to come. I can't wait till my Savior comes, till my elder brother returns, till my Lord returns. Tim Keller died recently, and one of the last things that he said that was recorded by one of his sons is that Tim was speaking to the family just a few days before he left the hospital and went home to pass away. And he said this, he says, I love my family. I love the time that the Lord gave me with them. I loved my wife, but I'm ready to see my Savior. He was looking for it and he could almost taste it. It was right there. 
Fox's Book of Martyrs, if you've ever heard about this, it records throughout church history many Christians that have not been looked down upon, not, not just been bad memes made about them, but actually lost their lives. There's this uh, story about in the 15, 1600s when the Catholic Church and the Protestants were kind of jostling back and forth. And there's this Protestant couple, a man and a wife, and they were being sent to be burned for their faith in Christ Jesus. And the, the woman had a baby, and she gave it to somebody in the audience. And her and her husband loving each other, the, the soldiers took them separately and were tearing them apart to take them to their own stakes. And the woman looks into her husband's eyes and says, Dear... I bid you farewell for now, but tonight we will sup together with our Lord. That is not an earthly right now mindset. That is a mindset that has grasped the grace that is to be brought at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What would it look like if all of us had this mindset? Now listen to what he says. He says, set your hope fully. He he says, don't hold back anything. A lot of us are, I can't wait for Christ to return, but I just, I'd love to get a few of these things done. I already bought my ticket to this vacation this summer. If we could just get through that. I want to see my daughter married. I want to get this job. I want to experience this. That's not setting our hope fully. It's not grasping fully Christ and his return. What would happen to our fears and our pains? Paul, right? Paul has this mindset. And what does he say in Romans? He says, I'm sure that the sufferings of this age, the temporary sufferings of this age, are nothing to be compared with the glory to come. Paul took his temporary sufferings, he called them temporary, the flagging, the beating, the stoning, the shipwreck, the cold, and also the pleasures. We get so distracted by the pleasures. We long for the pleasures. Our life should be transformed when we have this mindset. And we're pilgrims and aliens and traveling through this. And in a way, I, I hope every time you preach, you hope that you somewhat shipwreck somebody's life. Because there's that story about the guy who climbed the corporate ladder his whole life and worked really hard. And then he got to the top and realized he had his ladder on the wrong building. And some of us are doing that. Some of us have set our attention. We have set our hope. We are looking forward to this one thing. And that thing, you're going to arrive, brother or sister, it's not going to fulfill you. So I pray that for some of us, this shipwrecks our life and it causes us to say, I need to reorganize. I need to reevaluate and rethink this. Well, he gives us a couple modifiers here as to how to look forward to this revelation brought. You see it right in the beginning. He says, prepare your minds for action. It doesn't show us in the English what it shows us in Greek and our culture. It's very different. It actually says, gird up your loins of your mind. Peter's using an understanding back in this day that they walked around in robes, but before they went into battle, they'd have a huge belt on them. They'd, they'd pull up the robe and, and tuck it into their belt so that they're from the knees down, they were free to move, they were free to run, preparing themselves for battle. They were shaking off the hindrances. What hindrances do we have in our lives? And he's saying, shake off the hindrances in your mind. I am such a, I don't know if any of you have this, where you just, I call it Jeremiah's non-ADHD ADHD. I went to a doctor one time. I said, I really think I have ADHD. And I had a number of people say, I think you have ADHD. So I went to the doctor, and he said, no, no, you don't. Uh, I, don't I don't really trust him. I wasn't paying attention. Uh, <laughs> and, but I can get so sidetracked. And then these different thoughts keep coming. I said, what would happen if I gave attention to my thoughts? And you know what some of my thoughts are? I love money. Love money. 
I love money. If I'm, I love money. I love real estate. I love real estate. I love real estate. I love real estate. Because throughout my day, I'm, think, I'm a business owner, so I'm thinking about money. And then I'm also, I'm bivocational pastor, so now I'm thinking about the Bible. I'm thinking about money. I'm thinking about real estate. I'm thinking about rising mortgage interest rates. And I'm so distracted. I'm doing neither one of them good. I'm so distracted. I'm distracted by the cares of this world. It, it happens like Jesus, he says, some of the seed was sown amongst the rocks and the thorns, and it grows up, and the thorns, which are the cares of this world, choke it out. If you're like me, I'm being choked out constantly. Social media, cars, money, kids, sports, entertainment, movies, rest. I need to prepare my mind, set my mind fully on the reality, which is God. Take time, identify your restrictions. Social media is off my phone. I don't think about it. I don't look at the stock market. These things are triggers for me, so I got to cast them away. It's God, like David, we can't do this by ourselves because we deceive ourselves. A man thinks he's right in his own eyes, but David says, Lord, teach me. Is there any uncleanness in my heart? Reveal it to me. The second is prepare your minds for actions, which is get rid of hindrances. He says, be sober. And he's talking clarity, thinking clearly about the reality. One, we're just distracted. The other one, are we thinking clearly? Are we understanding truly the situation? The Bible is very clear, isn't it? This is temporary. 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 This isn't lasting. The Bible everywhere, you can't turn a page without it talking about this being temporary. But it doesn't feel that way. I don't act that way. I don't think that way. I don't respond that way. I need clarity. I need, Paul is saying, be sober-minded. Somewhere else, I think it's Peter. The day is far, the night is far spent. The day is coming. Be awake. Be sober. Two, two ways I think that the, the church in our time in America is intoxicated and not thinking clearly is our mixture of government and church. I, I see this not in this church. I've, I've had the pleasure of serving many churches, and it's all over. It's not just an East Coast thing. It's not a West Coast thing. It's not a PCA thing. It's not a URC or CRC thing, a non-denominational thing. American Christians are, are convoluting the church and government terribly. We're not thinking clearly, not thinking soberly. I'd say another way is theological dullness. Think clearly. Think clearly about what? Think clearly about the gospel that was just declared to you in verses 1 through 12. I heard something, and we'll get to this in 1 Peter later on in the book, but it says, be ready at all times to give an account for the joy that is in you. Right? You've heard that? That's in 1 Peter coming later on. And I heard somebody say, well, give an account. Don't you feel a little overwhelmed? Am I really going to be able to give that good of a theological response to somebody? And it's like, I, I always feel this pressure. Am I going to be ready to do that? Well, he's saying, it's not coming up with your own. Here's the joy that's in you. God, before the foundation of the world, elected you. God chose you. God caused you to be resurrected through Jesus Christ. God caused you to be born. It's all right there. That should bring us enough joy. That's what we be, should be thinking about. That should organize our mind. So people who have been saturated with the gospel, blessed by the gospel, set our hopes, we are looking forward to that return of Christ Jesus and the fullness of grace to be given to us. Second, we as God's children are called to be holy. 
We are called to be holy. And this comes from verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, you yourselves be holy in all of your behavior. And just like we are to set our minds fully, which means completely, he says be holy in all your behavior. Not just your behavior at church, not just your behavior at school, not just your behavior in the workplace, not just your behavior on social media, all your behavior, all the time, all of this exile period. We are to be holy. Now the picture that is being set up here for us that Peter has in his mind, this verse, he says in verse 16, as it is written, this is coming from Leviticus, where God had drawn Israelites, his people, out of the wilderness, or out of Israel out of Egypt, into the wilderness, and they were surrounded by people of many other nations who were idolaters. They hated God. They didn't know God. They had their own customs. And God created all these laws to set them apart. That's what holy actually means, being set apart. And now he's saying, you need to be different than the unclean. There needs to be a distinction between you and the unclean. And he's also saying, as Israel was God's people, you now are my children. I don't know about you parents, but in you kids, you ever leave the house and your mom or your dad look at you and they say, remember whose child you are. Remember who you represent, this family. Well, saint, remember whose child you are. Remember who you represent. Israel is God, uh, we are God's children, which means God is our father. So even in the commands, he's still saying, I'm your father, I love you. And in Hebrews chapter 11, it says the Lord disciplines those he loves because they are children of his. Holiness is that he's getting at a characteristic of us as Christians. He's getting at a characteristic rather than do this, do this, do this, don't do that, do this. He's getting at what type of people are we to be? We're to be like our Father who is holy and gracious and merciful and slow to anger. Are we going to be perfect? No, we are not our Father. We can't be our Father. We can't even come to our Father on our own. We have to go through the Son that He sent. But He has sent the Son and now we are His and we are to be like the Father. I remember, I, I can't, maybe you guys know, he might have been a Christian psalm writer, but he was on a ship, and this ship, this is back in the sailing days, the ship went through a great storm. And, I mean, it had everybody freaking out, and they were sure they, they were going to die, and the gale winds didn't die down, and they were going to be flooded. And this person on this ship noticed that there was this Morvarian Mor- Christians, this sect of Christians from Europe, that were calm. Everybody else was losing their mind, but these Christians were calm. And he, and he sought them out and he said, why? What is wrong with you? And he found out they had their hopes set on a future. They had their hopes set on God. I ended up bringing this man, being a part of God's tool to bring this man to the faith of God. Because they were different. These Christians were different. They stood out. I love uh, my wife. You know, obviously, we, it's an hour drive up here, hour drive back. And after a few times, I said, you know, what do you, what do you think? And she said, oh, they're such nice people. And, and I say, you always say that because they're Christians. Every church we go to, the people are nice because you have God's spirit inside of you. And so there's like this immediate brother, sister, father, mother, child love for you because you are Christ. Christ dwells in you. I'm not asking, God is not calling us to be something that we are not. He's calling us to be what we are. He's calling us to be what he birthed us to be, his children, 
holy, sanctified, set apart. Look at what he says in here. He says, not conforming, as children of obedience, not conforming yourselves according to your former lusts as in your ignorance. Not conforming yourselves almost to the old pattern. The old pattern talking about when we were unbelievers. Some of you, that was a long, long time ago. Others of us, it wasn't that long ago. But the former lusts, don't conform yourself to the old ways. Now, real quick, here's a biblical anatomy. Everybody has their flesh. Romans 7 describes this. You have the flesh. It's uh, the old man, Scripture describes it. And it, it's Ephesians 2. Has no God in this world. Follows the passions of its own desires. It, it, it's ignorant to God. It follows the course of the, the power, the prince of this air, Satan. It's against God. It doesn't know God. It doesn't want God. You have the old man. But when, what happens is when you come to faith and you're born again, a new man is created. A new man. It's, in Scripture, it's called the spirit, the new man. Colossians talked about this. Don't walk by the old man. Walk by the new man. This is, this is the anatomy, but there's one other part. There's the mind. The old man, the new man, and the mind. And what happens is the battle takes place in the mind. That's why it says in verse 13, prepare your minds, be sober-minded. And how do we do any of this? We do this through the word of God that's preached to us, the gospel, the good news declared to us, the transformational work and the kindness of God and the spirit working inside of us, which conquers our mind. Because we are so prone to return to the old man. Our scripture is very true that it speaks about when we were baptized with Christ through faith, the old man is crucified. Romans chapter 6. The old man's dead, but he still remains. He's being put to death. He's dying. As we get older, he should not be as strong. But this side of glory, he still remains. The old man is still there. He's still taking on. Like, you know, those cartoons where you got the devil right here trying to tell you the bad thing and the angel trying to tell you the good thing. The old man still remains. He says, I want to see that. I want to do that. I don't want that for them. I hate them. I want to sleep in. I don't want to go to church. But you have the new man. And the battle happens in the mind illustration of this is this week had a crazy busy week for catering jobs and I was just toast and yesterday I had this uh, double and I had these I have these big carts I got to pick them up and put them in the back of my truck and offload them and we just moved May 18th into a new or May 1st into a new house rent's gotten a lot more expensive and so I'm coming home after working and I'm asking one of my boys to help me out and he's just playing around and I'm dog tired and he's playing around and, and I correct him a couple times, please focus, please help me. Dad's super tired, my back hurts, can you please help me? And he's still playing, and he starts making like Donald Duck-like songs. And as I'm just like, I'm dying, and I lost it. I lost it on him. And within about four seconds, I realized, oh my goodness. There's the old man. He's right there. He's right there. I had to stop, I had to apologize, I'd take my cool, i just... You want to know why it only took 10 seconds? Because I'd been studying the word of God. had been reminding me, you're new. Be holy, Jeremiah, like your heavenly father is holy. And the spirit is working inside my heart. And he's saying, Jeremiah, but walk by the spirit, not by the flesh. That's clearly flesh, Jeremiah. Don't do that. And so I turn and I see the grace of God shown towards me. And I'm able to show the grace towards my son. So be, we are called to be holy. So we're, we're called to have set our hope on the future. We're called to be holy. Finally, we're called to live out our time here 
with fear. Now that might sound very confusing to you. Fear. Why fear God? I thought we're not under works. But it even says in here, this isn't my own words. Verse 17, if you call on him who is father, with, who without respect of persons judges each person according to works. Judges? What? What about the gospel? He goes on to say, pass the time of your living here as strangers, living here as strangers here with reverent fear. This is what, what he's saying here is he's saying, don't treat the grace of God like trash. I got that from another pastor. Don't treat the grace of God here like trash. He's still, and see on the beginning, it's, it's he's sandwiched. He's saying, God, your father. And we know God is not our father because of anything we've done. And right after this verse, as he tells us to live in fear, he says, knowing that you were redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. The gospel sandwiches in this command to live out our time here with reverent fear. It's saying this. Don't treat the grace that God has shown you with irreverence. Don't just throw it to the door. Oh, you saved me, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buddy up to sin. I'm going to walk in darkness. I'm going to snub my nose at the grace that you've shown me. He's saying don't do this. God sees God doesn't not see. He sees. He has no respects to persons. He, he's not impressed by anything other people think about you. He's not impressed with what you do on the outside. He sees the heart. And it's saying in your time here, don't treat God's grace like trash. And also don't waste your life. Your redeemed, ransomed, privileged life. Don't waste it by not living, by living in sin. Because remember, he's talking about your conduct. Be holy. Stand out. Walk in God's ways. And he's saying, God has called you to this. God has empowered you to this. We don't do it by ourselves. So pass the time of your living here, strangers here. Again, that's pointing to the, the passing of this world. We are strangers here with reverent fear. It's reverent fear. It's just knowing this has been done for me. God forbid that I don't live in a way that's thankful, that I snub my nose at it and buddy up to sin and things that God does not love. And finally, he closes with this. He begins with the therefore in verse 13, and he closes with a therefore. He closes with Christ, verse 20, who was foreknown indeed before the foundation of the world, but has revealed at this last time for your sake. You might feel not known. You might not feel like God sees you. But Peter says, for your sake, you, if you are in Christ Jesus, you, for your sake, God has revealed him. And through him, through Jesus, has made you believers and bought you salvation. It's through Christ Jesus that we live, we move, we have our being, and we are children of God. And it says, so that your faith and your hope might be in God. You can summarize that so that your trust and your outlook and your looking forward to is for God. Imagine what kind of people that we would be because God has. God has imagined what kind of people we will be in Christ Jesus. Therefore, he sent the Son. He gives the Spirit. He provides the Word. He assures us of the grace that is ours in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, you have been gracious to us. You have empowered us by 
your spirit. You've called us to live lives that are different. We should be different, Lord. If there's any way that any of us have not been living in fear according to you, Heavenly Father, with a reverence of the grace that you've shown to us, if any of us think like, like those in the scripture saying, God does not see, confront us, reveal it to us, that we may confess it and turn to Christ. Your spirit that lives in us, the blood that was shed for us, ensures that our sanctification will come to be. For scripture says, those whom he foreknew, he called. Those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he will glorify. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.